Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us. My name is Daryl Urbanski, your host as always. And today we are joined by Paul Smith, the UK's foremost wealth creation educator and a multi-million pound property magnet. As a visionary co-founder of Touchstone Education, Paul has dedicated his life to empowering others to achieve financial freedom through property. With a Guinness World Record and a best-selling book under his belt, he's not just an investor, but a mentor guiding thousands to success. What's his philosophy? Property is the ultimate investment strategy. Plus, at Touchstone, it's not just about business, it's also about family. With vast experience spanning from niche internet marketing consultancy at Red Towers to leadership roles in the beverage packing industry, Paul's expertise is vast and varied. I've asked Paul to join us here today to share his story, plus insights on wealth creation, property investment, and success strategies. So Paul, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you? Very good. And thank you for the invitation, Daryl. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. Yeah, it's an honor and pleasure to have you. And before we jump into some of your tips and tricks and, and insights on things, I wanted to ask, how did you even get going in this? Was entrepreneurship, is that a family thing? Is, was everybody, is everybody an entrepreneur? And no, the almost exact opposite. So very much my parents, my grandparents, they all had, I guess you call them regular jobs, nothing fancy. So mum and dad were both teachers. My grandparents, I'm half English, half Irish. So my grandparents, if I think about my English side, my granddad was a, a carpenter, so a joiner, woodworker. My grandma was in service. She was a, a servant in a big house. And then on the other side, my Irish grandparents were, I guess you could call them entrepreneurial. My Irish granddad was the village auctioneer. So he bought anything he fancied. So oh, he, had cool. a, he had a couple of pubs. He had a, a petrol station, or you would call it probably a gas station. So just bits and pieces. But I saw both sides of my family, English and Irish, build a... A reasonable amount. I'm not saying they were millionaires, billionaires, but they had a reasonable amount of wealth, mm. passed away, and then everything went. I was too young to be involved, but it was so both sides built up an amount of money. And then as soon as my grandparents died, all that money went boom, it was gone. It just got divided up by the children or whatever. And there was really, from a financial point of view, there was nothing to show. Mm. So, yeah, but it's fair to say on the English side in particular, my parents, grandparents did property investment on the side. Now, what I mean by that is due, I think, primarily to the tax laws in the UK. As a family, we would buy a house, move into it. We would then renovate it and sell it. And so the way the tax laws work in the UK, there's no tax at all. So the capital gain, zero tax. And it's, mm. it's a fantastic way to, to, and to give you one example, the last one that I can remember before I moved out, I remember helping my dad. We bought this property in a place called Hatfield, which is not that far from London. It's not London, but it's not far from London. Mm. We paid 15,000 pounds for it. Me and dad just did it up. And this is many years ago. And probably five years later because it wasn't a quick process we sold that property for sixty-four thousand pounds now wow. to, to give you a context on and we probably spent maybe five grand doing it up so let's say purchase plus refurb is 20k all in and we sold it for maybe 65 
But to give you a context, I'm talking about way back in 1980, so 40 plus years ago. And the average salary, the average full-time salary in the UK back then would have been probably eight or nine thousand pounds a year. So yeah. that so 40, 45 grand was like five years salary tax-free. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fantastic. So that's obviously there's something there. <laughs> My dad was a very bright guy as a headmaster, spoke seven languages, studied up, but he was also very good with his hands. So did you say he spoke seven languages? Yeah. Languages. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no surprise, English, but then French, Italian, Spanish, uh, Greek, Latin, and Russian. That's fantastic. Um, and he was like intermediate at all of those. I'm not questioning your dad. I'm just yeah. I speak three intermediately and I know words and a handful of more and I'm working on a fourth and I just, yeah. seven is just, that's, there's some commitment behind that. Yeah. Yeah. That was his thing. He was, he was an educator and I guess probably that's where I get it. Fair enough. I love yeah. that because they've done studies, dementia, a lot of age related mental problems. They don't exist for people that speak multiple languages. It's like a use it or lose it concept. How strange. I view it just like the brain. If you just consider it like another muscle, it is use it or lose it. If you don't work out, you're not going to have any muscles. If you don't think, you're not going to have a brain. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I'm just thinking back to even the, he's been gone for 10 years now, but even the day that he passed away, he was still working on a book. He was right. He's a historian is his main discipline. Mm. And he, was writing, he was writing a book about the campaigns of Alexander the Great. Oh, that's what a great role model. The day he died, which was pretty impressive. Yeah, that's fantastic. Wow. What a role model. What a role model. Mm -hmm. So how did your business career start? So you're helping mom and dad renovate and sell these houses. You're making sure. you know, a decent living. You're only flipping one at a time, it sounds like, obviously, because it's considerable at the time, especially considerable financial. Oh, yeah, oh. for sure. Yeah, no, no, it is flipping one at a time. Okay. But it's also taken four or five years to do each one because we live in there, which is why I said it's on the side. I, it wasn't professional property investment. It wasn't using companies. It wasn't using contractors. It was just literally buy a rundown place, do it up mm -hmm. and sell it. Mm -hmm. And we're going to do all the work ourselves. And in many ways, that taught me what to do. It also taught me what not to do because that's mm. not that's not a business. Right. My, defi my definition of a business is a profitable commercial enterprise that works without you. Mm -hmm. And because you go and buy some stock in a company like Apple or whatever, you're not going to get a call saying, what do you think about the latest iPhone and should we do this or should we do that? You're a business owner. You're not in the business. And anyone that's in the bit, anyone that can't take a year off or two years off and their business is stronger without them, they ain't got business. They got a job. Yep. Yeah. That's very true. That's rich dad had this thing, the ESBI entrepreneur, self-employed business owner, investor. And the investor. idea is exact is that self-employed is just a different form of, of a job, but to mm. be a business owner. And I, we bang this drum a lot on the show in the sense of when you go through McDonald's drive-through, they're not like, sorry, Sally's not feeling well. Drive-through's closed today. Like the business provides a service mm -hmm. and there's a team and process in place to make sure that problem is constantly solved for the community. Sure. So I love that. Okay. Yeah. So walk us through yeah. your career. Yeah. Sure. Okay. I'm one of four children. 
there was my mom was a primary school teacher my dad was a history teacher ended up as a, a headmaster so I don't know if that translates exactly. What would you call the guy that runs the school? Is that a principal? President. Yeah, principal. Principal. I said president, yeah. but it's a principal. So he's still a teacher, but he's he's basically the guy that runs the thing. But still not a lot of money. I left home at 17 with 170 pounds. I decided that I wanted to go off to university, but my parents couldn't afford it. So... Mm-hmm. I deeply believe that the quality of our lives is directly impacted by the quality of the questions that we ask. Mm-hmm. And the question I ask myself is, how can I go study a degree for free? And in fact, never mind that, how can I get paid for it? And I got sponsored by the good old Ford Motor Company, and I did a, a four-year engineering degree, and I did two terms in college, and then six months physically working for them. Because over in the UK at that time, there were no student grants. Mm. There was no such thing as a a student loan. So students these days tend to leave college or university with a massive debt. It's so parasitic. I I don't even, it's just nonsense. It's such nonsense. (laughs) It is nonsense. I agree with you. But the only reason I mention it is back in 1982, which is when I went to university, I didn't have the choice. There was no such thing. I couldn't just say, I'll do your course at university and just put it on tick. Just give me a big loan for it and I'll pay you back sometime never. So (laughs) the the only way that I could go is if I could come up with the cash. Mm. And my parents just didn't have the cash. There were four kids. There was only one of my parents working and whatever. So I got sponsored to do this degree. But then at the age of 17, I also decided by the time I'm 18, I want to buy a property in London because that's where I went to university. So how do I live for nothing? And which was my second question. And thinking back to my English grandma, she worked in a big house. She was a servant. So I actually got myself a position in a big house and I worked for 20 hours a week doing whatever. So I would clean the swimming pool. I would sweep the tennis court. I would prune the roses. I don't know about you, but I don't like roses. They had two acres of roses. And every time I see a rose, I just see scars on my hands and <laughs> and whatever. But they were lovely people. And I still remember today, they were called the Newlands. And guess what? This is the next piece of the jigsaw because they were building contractors. They were construction contractors. So I the deal was I would do 20 hours a week whatever they asked me to. Um, And I got free board, free accommodation, no bills. And then all of this money that I was making, because I was actually working three jobs at the time, as well as going to university. Plus, in my six months of working with Fords, I was doing 12-hour day shifts, 12-hour night shifts. I was working 84 hours a week for Fords for six months of the year. So in that first year, I actually made and kept after tax around about 11,000 pounds. And it's fantastic. Which you put that into the context way back then of an eight, 9,000 pound average salary. I'd actually banked as well as being a student by just doing stupid stuff, crazy hours, working multiple jobs and whatever. You could so, do that then. You're made, you're elastic. You are so fresh yeah. out of the wrapper. Yeah. You, you can get away with that. I'm pushing 60 now, so I maybe wouldn't fancy it this year, but uh, why not? I could still do that. 
that meant I had just over ten thousand pounds. I had nearly eleven thousand pounds. Mm. And in 1982, I went off and bought my first property um, in a little place you might have heard of called London, and I paid nine thousand pounds for it. And today, that property is worth nearly half a million. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. So, you keep it, you buy and hold it, you sold it. No, I I did what my dad and granddad had taught me to do. I, yep. I bought it. I fixed it up. But being young and stupid and crazy and whatever, I fixed it up in about 18 months all myself. It was only a little place. It was just like, sure. it, it was an end of terrace house that had been split into two apartments. I had the top one. <laughs> But it had a cute little garden. I had a garage where I kept it. It was cute. And I spent maybe a thousand pounds on it. So my total investment at this point is like 10 grand yeah. plus a lot of blood, sweat and tears. Yeah, yeah. And I sold it for 32,000 in, yeah. in about 18 months. And, wild. And, and that got me going. And I did that three times. I, I bought refurbished before I worked out that actually this isn't a business. This is just another job. It's a well-paid job, but it's just mm -hmm. another job. And that's when I became what I would call. So by the age of 23, I became what I would call a professional property investor because I had multiple properties. I was working multiple strategies. I was working with my first joint venture investor. I'd stopped doing, what do you call it over there? We, when you do the job yourself, we call it DIY, do it yourself. Yeah, do it yourself. Yeah, so um, so I stopped doing that and I started employing professionals. And, and many years later, my current logic strategy, call it what you want, is I now say to my students that brickwork will make you a living. So physically, if you're doing work, like painting or brickwork or putting up shelves or whatever it is, in the UK, that'll maybe save you 30, 40 pounds an hour, call it maybe 50 bucks, something like that. Because you're doing it, so you don't have to employ someone. But paperwork will make you a fortune. So brickwork mm. will make you a living. So my phrase is brickwork will make you a living, paperwork will make you a fortune. And it, in property investment, it's not really ultimately about bang, banging in nails and putting up roof joists. It's about structuring deals. And that's what I teach people to do. I love this. And I, I was told before by uh, a guy I really look up to, very successful, uh, been on our show, Craig Jacobson. He talks about real estate is, is fantastic to analyze, to learn how to structure mm. business deals and mm. business law. And mm -hmm. financing of it all. They're very similar as entities. Yeah. 100% completely agree. So, so if, yeah. if I roll forward to now, what is that? I've been a property investor for 42 years now. I'm 59 years old now. So we've now got what myself and my wife Annika call an, an ecosystem. So we've got our property and property development companies. We also have a legal firm that does all the conveyancing, that does all the, the legal work around property, not just for us, but it does it for our community. Yeah. We also have a firm of estate agents. You would call them realtors, I think. So we buy and sell properties as well. And we have our training business. So we've got all these different businesses that fuse together. But what's the one common denominator? The common denominator is that... Property. We, it's something to do with property. Yeah, yeah it's something yeah. to do with property and property investment. But then on the back of that, my wife is, I'm an engineer, so I, I can count and all that stuff. She's the accountant. 
and one of the, I'm a great one for the phrases. The it's not what you make, it's what you keep. Yeah, which off, is 100%. Yeah. And that's not unconnected with the fact that we now live down here in Monaco. I love it. I love it. I love it. And I love how you talk about how you own an ecosystem. So I think I've mentioned, I may have already, I've done so many interviews lately. We, I spent 50K to do research into business success. I hired yeah. 10 assistants, help me go through all the academic literature, figure out what is the science, so to speak, have to say about business success. And one of the, we, we found eight critical success factors. And one of them is money management. And mm-hmm. Under money management, then we looked into each one, what is what presents success for each factor. And one of the things is investing in R&D, high quality mm-hmm. products and services, capacity utilization, and investing heavily in assets and sales growth. So when you talk about how you built an ecosystem, you bought assets and invested in sales growth where the companies can share the same leads, essentially. Yep. And also as an asset. When you own the legal firm, when you own the brokerage, when you own the contractors, it it is it creates a moat. You talk, it creates a moat like a castle with a body of water around it, where you your competitors can't penetrate you. And it just yeah, it just it fits in with the, my research so well. It's just a, a a smart, a very smart way to go through it. You talked about paper will make you a fortune, and that a mm. lot of it's about structuring a deal. Can you speak kind of wax poetic for me on structuring deals? What are any tips? What would you recommend to someone starting out or struggling? Okay. So starting out or struggling, those, yeah, everyone, you don't have to be great to start, but you have to start to be great to use that well-worn phrase. Mm-hmm. And so many people, I, I believe that our biggest asset and our biggest liability is up here. It's what I call it your neck top computer. And you got to reboot it. You got to restart it. And everything begins and ends with mindset. And I don't know if you've ever asked your question. I don't know if the, the, the listeners, the viewers have ever asked themselves the question. We've all got 168 hours in a week. Mm-hmm. It's just, how come some people end up like Warren Buffett or I don't know who your investing heroes are or Sir Richard Branson or Uh Elon Musk or whoever it is. How come some people end up like that and other people end up tired, broke, skint, miserable, complaining about everything? So I think it all begins and ends with mindset. And my English granddad, he's a very, was a very tough guy. And he was just a product of the Second World War and he was fighting people for six years and whatever, he was doing his job for the country. And he saw some absolutely life-changing things. He, yeah. he fought in Asia Pacific, so you can possibly imagine some of the stuff that he went through. But from whenever he came back and whenever he interacted with me, his core message to me was always one of hope. And it was always, and he used the context of the UK because that's where we were brought up. And right. But you could equally say the same for the US or Canada or whatever. Sure. And what he used to say to me is, you've won life's lottery. And I was like, in my early years, I was like, what are you talking about, Grandad? And it, what he meant was that compared to 95% of the planet, 
if you're British, if you're American, if you're Canadian, and yeah, and you could pick some other countries as well, not loads, but some other countries. You got freedom of speech. You've got no limit on your ability to make money. You got free education. In the United Kingdom, we got uh, free healthcare. So you've got all this stuff. There's no upper limit on what you can earn. Mm-hmm. Now, you compare that to North Korea, Russia, China, most almost all of Africa, almost all of Latin America. And I'm not being down on those places. I'm just saying, compared to the opportunities that you got as a Brit or a, a North American, we won the lottery. And yep. we just by being born. Yep. Yep. But there's so many people in those, what should we call them? Uh, developed economies, let's say, where you got freedom of speech and so on, that are so miserable. I don't know what the stats are for the United States, where you are, you're not, you're in the Philippines, but yeah. I know you, I know North America, Canada, US, yeah. Yes. Yeah, I don't know what the stats are for North America, but in the UK, 40% of the population are on antidepressants or something to do with managing their mental health. Mm -hmm. 40%. Why? Whatever you do in the United Kingdom, whatever you do, short of killing someone, in which case you're going to get put in prison, but whatever you do in a financial sense, the government will feed you and it will put a house over your head. So you're not going to die of starvation and you will have accommodation. It might not be the accommodation you want, yeah, but there's so many people. It's 99 people out of 100 are still moaning about the fact of what they haven't got instead of being grateful for what they have got. Mm. So to come back to your question in terms of what advice would I give to people that are just starting out or they're struggling with the two things that you were talking to me about? Number one, put it in context. What does your struggling look like versus 99% of the world? Because I bet 99% of the world would swap your very worst day for their best day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just saying. Yep. That's number one. And number two, whenever you're thinking about making an investment decision or maybe, i tell you the worst position to be in is being okay. The worst position is where you've got some sort of middle salary, middle income type job. You've got, you, you're buying your own house. You've got maybe a couple of cars on the drive and you take one or possibly two foreign holidays a year. You, you're doing okay. Mm-hmm. You're not doing great. You're not doing what you were born to do. Mm-hmm. You're not living the life that you want to live, but you're too comfortable to risk it. Yeah. So the now, if you got nothing, your back's against the wall. I I read recently about three guys from Nigeria. I don't really know their background, and they decided that being in Nigeria, they were part of a, an ethnic group that was getting persecuted or whatever. So they decided to climb onto this bulk carrier because they thought he was going to go to Europe. Okay, so they thought. Okay, we'll, we'll, we don't know where we're going to land. The UK it's from be better than yeah, better than here. Yeah. Now I'll tell you the punchline in a second. It turned out this bulk carrier wasn't going to France. It was going to Brazil. Okay. So this was like weeks on end at sea. Guess where these guys stowed away? 
just have know. a wild on the rudder. So they went across the Atlantic on the rudder. And there was three of them. They were keeping each other awake. They were sleeping in turn. There was rough seas. They'd taken food for 10 days. And after 10 days, their food and water ran out. And if you're thinking about, shall I buy my first investment property? And what if it all goes wrong? Compare that to spending three weeks at sea with 10 days of food, not knowing where you're going. Yeah. I don't know if I can put it any more graphically than that. Yeah, yeah. What well, is the, uh, what's the worst that can happen? Yeah, which is fear. Fear kills more dreams and failure ever will. And in yeah. 5,000 years, how much of this is going to matter? And we're all going to die anyways. So yeah. uh, what you said, the upside is almost infinite. And the downside isn't that severe. And even in a lot of these other countries, don't get me wrong, there's real destitute places in the world. But even in a lot of them, I'm in the Philippines, it's supposed to be a third world country. I had a friend that came to visit from Vegas and he was flabbergasted. He's like, I feel like I'm in America in the 80s. Like the malls here, they're just big yeah. and beautiful and they're so full. And he, he was just so shocked. He couldn't get over because I think in his mind, he thought I'm going to third world. I'm like, you can live first world here, bro. And even yeah. the people that aren't, yeah, a lot of them have family. There's a support network there in place. You have almost in some ways, almost unlimited upside. And the downside can be severe, but if you have, and you talk to your family, you talk to you, if you have a support network, there almost is no downside. A couple of months a year of your life to get back on your feet. Oh, for sure. But do you know what you just said there? Your family, the support network. Mm -hmm. For most people, not. For most people, as soon as you, especially in the UK, I can't speak to North America so much. But if in the UK, if you just say, I'm going to go, I'm going to go invest 10, 15 grand in this guy's courses. I'm going to learn to be a property investor. I'm going to go buy some property. Most families will say, sounds too good to be true, probably is. No such thing as a free lunch. Mm -hmm. It's going to end in tears. Who do you think you are? Too big for your boots. And it is precisely that support network in the UK that normally stops people from taking the first step. Mm. What do you want to do that for? You you got a good, steady job. Mm -hmm. You took a trip to Cancun last year. You got two beautiful children. What are you trying to upset the apple cart for? Yeah. Yeah, there, I think that exists everywhere. A lot of it depends on the culture, too. I think that's a big thing. I think in the West, families have shrunk so much. We can talk about generational and cultural cycles as well. But I yeah. think that's a big part of that is, is in the West. Here, at least in the Philippines, and I know having been in Africa, there still is that, but you just, you be you. And like your mom would never abandon you if you needed her for most people. So it's like that thing. People will be weary and afraid, but what is it? I'm not super religious. They say, don't expect others to respect your grind when God didn't give them your vision. But I think that's something that you really have to listen to. Like you mentioned, we've been honing our instincts for as a species, as a living organism for hundreds, thousands of years. So you really do have to trust your gut and intuition. What you talked about too, is that you're comfortable, but you don't love what you're doing. And I think that that's really important. Finding your guy is an important thing, but you can't eat it when you go to, the, can't take it with you and you can't eat your money. So it's important that you have a sense of meaning and accomplishment. For me, I, I've talked before we got on this, I made a bunch of money. For me, that was a lot of money. I could have taken a couple of years off. I spent it on my family and then I, I semi-retired at an early re mini retirement, you could say. And I, I didn't last weeks 
I just, I need things, something to do. I need a reason to get up in the morning. What am I doing? Waiting around to die? Like every single And I feel you asked me a very straightforward, simple question. What advice would I give to someone that's maybe looking to start out or they're they're struggling a little bit? You got to start with you. You got to work Mm. out your motivation. Mm. And for me, what I would always say is what are the three things in the world that are most important to you? And I've done this with tens of thousands of people. And so imagine the situation. I've got maybe three, 400 people on some sort of seminar. I put the chat box on private and I say, look, what I want you to do is just put the three things in the world that are the most important to you. Mm-hmm. And people will put stuff like my family or quite, you said, you're not particularly religious, neither am I, but quite a lot of people will put God or religion yep. or yep. something of that. So family, God, a lot of people will put health. Yep. And just for example, let's just say that. I wouldn't say that, but let's say people, that person's top three values were family, religion, and health. Sure. And then the most important technique that I would teach them is linking. By which I mean, how do you link property investment, money, wealth, all of those things to the three things in life that are most important to you? So let me give you a, a proposition. I believe there's only two reasons in this world why we should do anything. One is lifestyle. And it could be because I made a bunch of money and I want to retire to the Philippines just randomly. I don't know anyone that's done that. Um, And it could be because I want the latest Ferrari. It could be because I want my kids to go to a private school. It could be because the biggest love of my life, I don't really like people, is horses, and I, I want to be an Olympic show jumper, or whatever. Right, so right, right, right. It's lifestyle. The other reason is legacy. So when I'm gone, what do I want it all to have meant? And I deeply believe those are the only two reasons why anyone would, should, or could do anything. Yeah, I, I would agree. I would agree on that. So let's say... Your num- and here's the next exercise that I get them to do. So they've now, imagine this, they've written down the three things that are most important to them. And I then say, what's your views on money? And, and people say, oh, money is evil, or the love of money is the root of all evil, or you've heard all this stuff before, yeah? So yeah. in many societies, people are embarrassed, or yes. they believe that if they chase money, it's like avarice, it's greed, and it's a bad thing, and we shouldn't do that. But unless you're aware of your top three highest values, as soon as you get money, you'll spend it on those three things. You'll never store money, and you'll never accumulate wealth. And so, again, give you a random example, I'll then take one of those, health, and I'll say, okay, give me a list of things that you could improve with regard to your health or your loved one's health if you had more money. Mm-hmm. So they start talking to me about, oh, we could eat organic food. We could uh, join a gym. Um, if we had a bunch of money, then we wouldn't have to work anymore and I wouldn't be stressed all the time. Mm-hmm. So they suddenly give me all these health benefits. And the stronger the health benefit, the stronger the link between money and their benefits. And suddenly money is the route to getting whatever it is that they want to do. Yeah. And that is, the, that is the first key to unlock the mind is to directly align the pursuit of money, the pursuit of property investment with whatever it is that you want in life. Because very few people 
will actually want to buy a property, do it up and flip it. They don't want to do that. What they want is the result of the money connected to their highest values. And there's ways they can frame it as well, depending, obviously, they may or may not be hanging out swinging hammers, but they could do that as part of getting their exercise. There's a phrase that unlocked that for me, which was money solves all problems a lack of money creates. Money doesn't solve everything. And I've had a year or more of money cash and mattress and and still had issues with my life that I felt were holes I had to fill. I had to make myself whole. But money will solve all problems a lack of money creates. And well, yeah, yeah I, I would go further. I would say people say that money doesn't buy you happiness. And I would say that means you're spending on the wrong things. <laughs> because if you understand what your highest values are and if money connects to that. So let me give you a, a couple of random examples. Um, many years ago now, um many years say 10 no maybe eight years ago now um my mum had this problem with her gallbladder and it needed to be removed she couldn't eat she couldn't sleep she was losing weight she was vomiting etc and she would have been in her mid-70s then and in the uk we got this thing called the national health service and off she goes the national health service which is of course free and they said oh nine months (laughs) Uh, no you wait for it so she said, I've got this problem, blah, blah, blah. And they said, oh, no problem, Mrs. Smith, we'll fix that. But it's not life-threatening. We know it's very uncomfortable, but it's not life-threatening. So we'll get it fixed sometime in the next three years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> sure, I'll just sit in agony for the next 36 months. Yeah. No worries. Yeah. So the next day, she's on the phone to me in tears and whatever. And I said, well, just go get it fixed. And she said, what do you mean? I said, just phone up a private hospital, get it fixed. So she did got it fixed with that week and it cost me like six grand and i was yeah. like now that's fine if you got the six grand it right. is not fine if you haven't got the six grand it's like, what are you going to do right and there's my students to give you a different example some of the couple of different strategies that i technique you asked me probably three years ago what would i recommend to people starting out so there's a whole bunch of people starting out that don't necessarily have much money So one of the things that you can do in the United Kingdom is you can, for example, package deals. Now, what does that mean? It means you find a deal off market. So it's not with the realtors. It's not advertised on the Internet. There's lots of different ways you can do that. Let's say, for example, you go to Facebook Marketplace or you go to a a website called Gumtree. You can find private vendors and you can then... We actually have 16 people that work for us in the Philippines as part of our business. And what we get them to do is what we call scrape the data. So Mm -hmm. for example, get yourself onto Facebook Marketplace, look for a particular geography in in our case, in the United Kingdom. So say, I don't know, Liverpool or Manchester or something. Give me a 20 mile radius. I'm particularly looking for two beds or three beds or whatever it is. And what I want in that table is... I want the description of the house. I want the name of the vendor. I want the price and I want their cell phone number, their their mobile number. What we'll then do is, and so that are the wages in the Philippines. So that Mm. might take three, four hours for someone to put that together. And you might end up with, say, a list of 200 people. Mm. What we then do is we use a piece of software like Firetext or whatever, and we'll text those people out and we'll say, see, you've got a property for sale. 
And for me, this is all paperwork because this is systemized. Yeah. Okay, it's computers. So you've got this, now you've got this whole bunch of say 200 records where somebody's trying to offload their property quick for whatever reason. You text those people out. Yep. Don't know what country people are listening to this from. So text in English would be an SMS. It's like a, it's a mobile phone message that's going out. And the mobile phone message would be something along the lines of instant cash purchase, phone now to see if your property qualifies, something like that. And then you've got your name at the bottom and whatever. And let's say somebody says, I want 200,000 for this particular property. And they respond to your text. Now, many of my students would be uncomfortable picking the phone up, phoning the person and saying, look, I've, I've looked at your property and for an instant cash purchase, so if you want me to complete next week and I don't know what's going on in your life, you need the money. The maximum that I can run to is like 160. And the number of people that tell me I would, you know, I can't make that phone call. I can't take advantage of that person. I, I don't know what's going on in their life. I would, and maybe it's a British thing. I don't know. I would feel awkward. I would be embarrassed. Mm. Now, let me give you a different, to use your word, context. If you don't make that phone call, and if you don't get the property at 40 grand less than they're wanting, then your mum can't have that gallbladder operation. Yep. Now, what's more important? Your pride and potentially get embarrassed, and maybe they're going to say no. But what if they say yes? And what if that answer... So you now get that deal. Yep. And... You don't want to buy it, so you sell it on to another property investor. That's right. what we call that's what we call deal packaging. Ah. And, you and you typically get five or ten grand for that. So let's say you secure the deal, and then let's say, oh, I know this guy in the Philippines. He's called Daryl. He's a really nice guy. He's looking to build a property portfolio in the United Kingdom, which is a really good place to invest. Phone Daryl up. It's listed at 200. We've negotiated a 40,000 pound discount. It's yours for just 6,000 pounds. Do you want it? Yeah. And yeah. that's how deal packaging works. Yeah. And if you're any good at that, you can probably do one a day. So suddenly your income goes from whatever it was to maybe 5,000 pounds a day. You maybe want to work four days a week, which is like 20,000 pounds a week for 50 weeks of the year, which is a million pounds a year. Right. So you've got no money, but armed with, a support, an administrator in the Philippines, a few bits of technology, but most importantly, a good, strong mindset. Suddenly your income goes to a million pounds a year, which for most people would be a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah. That's so I think that's a fantastic example. I think it's a fantastic example of how just with motivation and a desire to get going, someone can turn, make a profit out of nothing. If you look at the overhead for a business like that, it's just, it's almost nothing to a certain essence. So yeah. Yeah, I think that's fantastic. You were talking about mindset. And I wanted to talk about that because I think, as you say, for me on the show, we often try to talk about how problems are market. So even those people that say, I wouldn't want to take advantage of that person, you don't know what's going on in their life. Maybe the money that they're going to get, they don't care about. Yeah, it's worth 200, but maybe they bought it when it was 80. And so it's all profit for them anyhow. And maybe they've got a relative in the Hospital. Maybe they've got a swollen testicle and they don't want to tell you that. And they just need some money to go get the doctor to fix it. 
So yep. problems are markets. And that's where I'm hungry, restaurants, I'm bored, you have entertainment and movies, right? My teeth hurt, you have a dentist. So for those people, you have to get out of your own head, out of your own way and understand that a business is, all a business is, is a group of people that solve the problem of another group of people and they do it via product or service. And this almost gets down to, I don't know if it's theological, but it is political in the sense of altruism is great. Or is it socialism is great until you run out of other people's money to spend? And so the bare bone of that is that if you want to save these people, look, I need, people need cash. It's almost like a payday loan thing. People need cash fast. Many of them maybe have been sitting in a house forever. They need a big chunk of cash. For me to do that, I have to be able to do it at a profit. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it's not a self-sustaining system. Buckminster Fuller was a design revolutionary in the 1950s. And he wrote this book. I forget which one. It was like Nine Moons from the Sun or something. But I, I remember he mentioned this. It was called the percussion effect that uh, bumblebees and flowers are not trying to do each other a favor. They're very selfish in their goals, but they've created a symbiotic relationship that has allowed them to survive for thousands of years. And the whole, uh, in some ways, the whole ecosystems are built up on this very selfish relationship. And so the same thing we talk about here, you want to have a business service that, that, that you want to provide and solve a problem for people. You have to be able to be compensated in order for that to continue. The business is there to solve a problem in a community and to guarantee that it continues to exist so it can continue to solve that problem and innovate to solve it better. There are parasitic entities. There are, is crony capitalism. Life is full of opportunity and difficulty, but you have an opportunity to be one of the good people, one of the good guys. Yeah. 100% agree. Now, when you were telling me that socialism is when you run out of other people's money, do you know what I thought you were going to talk about? I thought you were going to talk about the US national debt. Yeah. That's the US is officially a corporation, not a government. And the the Federal Reserve is a private private entity. There was a creature that was created, uh, it was the monster from Jekyll Island. It's a real thing. There's some real issues, systemic issues we have to flesh out in how our world is structured. Um, I think the principles of habeas corpus, the Magna Carta, I think those are really important. Um, The Charter of Human Rights and Freedoms, these are things that I think are incredibly important as values. We can debate about how to get there, but I think as when we talk about outcomes that we want, I think most people would be in in accord with each other on what we want life to be like, talk about legacy for our children and future generations. And so sometimes they get caught up in the, the minutiae of what's my pronoun or what is this? But at the end of the day, we need to talk about where are we headed? And I think that it's like you mentioned, it's mindset. And so just to get off this soapbox I'm on, it's okay to be paid to solve problems in the world. That's okay. Yeah. I'm absolutely fine with that. Yeah. But I've got my version of what you just said there, and I'm agreeing with you, everything you've just said, is we've both said that we're not particularly religious. That said, I was brought up as this strict, super observant Catholic. And I would say it took me into my 20s, probably my mid 20s, to get over this sort of guilt that Catholicism gives you. Mm. Um, So I think there's a lot of people that maybe never get over that. And I can't really speak to the other religions because I don't know them. But I think that a lot of people in this world are brought up with a lot of guilt. And Hmm. a key part of developing your own mindset is just getting out your own way on that stuff. And I completely agree with you that there is no crime in making a profit in a business. Yeah, yeah. There is no crime. Yeah. As long as 
and here's where it is for me as long as it's well-intentioned because the difference between deceit and enthusiasm can only be separated by intention Mm. so I read recently that, what's his name? Mr. Bankman Fried or Freed or whatever yeah. he's called. SBF. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's a fraudster in, sorry, he's an alleged fraudster that I believe is probably going to get put away for quite a long time. I'm really struggling to get into his head that in any way, shape or form, that he didn't know pretty much exactly what he was doing. He had two companies that were manipulating the market. And sorry, he had many companies, but two main companies that were manipulating the market. And that's just wrong. And and if you go go back into the 1980s and you look at dear old Jordan, the Wolf of Wall Street or whatever, this whole idea of a a Ponzi scheme where you take money off people knowing that they're going to lose, that's essentially theft. So that's not, in my head, that's not business. So with the exceptions... Things like I'm 100% with you. It's okay to make it. Yeah. Living here in Monaco, I've got to tell you that I'm, I associate with, I've done all right. My, my businesses, if you put them together, round number, they're probably worth 100 million-ish pounds. So Congratulations. Thank you, just as a round number. But the reason I mentioned that isn't it, just for this reason. I associate with people that I'm one of the... Um, less well-off people here in Monaco. So the people I associate with have typically got a lot more money. And I just want to give you maybe a couple of examples of what's helped me to learn that having a lot of money is okay. Mm. So I don't know if North American listeners would be familiar with a Greek guy called Sestelios. He's a billionaire. He's the guy that launched EasyJet and Easy Everything. So he's a multi-billionaire. But he's also a a really nice guy. And he's joined what's called, some people call it the giving pledge, other people call it the living pledge. And this is a a club that you're not allowed into unless you're a billionaire. And what they promise is that they will give away to good causes or medical research or whatever, just to good causes, society. They will give away 50% of their income of their wealth over their lifetime or if they fail to do that it will be written into their will they'll give it away as part of their like a trust or something yeah now if you know that every pound you earn or every dollar you earn 50 percent of that is going to go to good causes people say to me when is enough you've got 100 million when is enough the answer is never because the more i get the more i help other people yep Yep. Yep. And and that is a massively strong link in my brain. Yep. And I'd go so far as to say it can't be never say never, but it, it would be very difficult to break that in my head. Yep. And it's as simple as this. I know that the more money I earn, the more people I can help. Yep. Yeah. That's but that's inspired by guys like Sustelios. And we got, I know. Formula One's not such a massive thing in the States, but it's a big thing in Europe, motor racing. And I'm actually looking forward to coming out to the States again in in a couple of months' time to go to Vegas, to the the first Formula One event there. But there's a lot of Formula One people live here. And 
without exception. So whether I'm talking about team owners or drivers or so in world champions, multiple world champions, and I don't know any of them, and I know a lot of them, I don't know any of them that don't do a lot for charity, medical research, let's right. just broadly good causes. Yeah. And money for me is very simple. It just makes you more of what you already are. Yes. So if you're fundamentally a good person, it just makes you a better person. Mm -hmm. If you're a nasty person, it just makes you nastier. Mm -hmm. yep. And really, and money's not good or bad. It's well, what are you doing with it? It's yeah. Yeah. literally, what are you doing with it? Yeah, hundred percent. And how do you, how you make it? You know, how you make it, if you make it, like if you're a dentist, just to give an example, maybe, and you're ambitious, maybe you're helping kids avoid, you know, tooth decay. You're helping people live lives without pain. I don't know. I keep going back to the dentist example, but how you make the money too, money, the money you make can be a measure of how many people you've helped. Just on that exact point, can you give me 10 seconds? I just want to grab a magazine to show you do something. It, do it, do it. So to that exact point, Daryl, what gets me out of bed in the morning? Why do I do what I do? And the answer is because of the people that I can help. So we published this magazine. I don't know if you can see that on your own. Meet the success story. Yeah. And this lady here, for example, she's called Helen Louise. She and she's one of the success stories. And this is just this month. And just flicking through this, you can see all these different people here. Yeah. And they've all, they've all got a page on whatever they've done. So I met Helen Louise probably four years ago now. And she came to one of my courses. And on the way to the course, she told me, so the course was maybe 150 miles from where she lived. But she couldn't afford the gas to get from where she lived to the course. So she got her dad to drive her. They stopped to fill up. And she wanted a, a pen and a pencil you know, and a, a notepad to just take some notes on the course. And so she, in the gas station, she went in, she got this pad, she got a pen, and she tried to pay for it with her card. For And I think it was like £1.50. And the card was declined because she had no money. All right? This, this is how little money she had. But if I roll the clock forward four years, this is her now. From overwhelmed teacher to property investment queen is the is the title. Yeah, okay. and she's she's on course this year. So she did a, a strategy called rent to rent service accommodation. So just to decode that for you, what that meant is that she she took rental properties and she paid the regular rent. Um, yep. Let's say it was let's say it was a thousand pounds a month, and then completely legally using the contracts that we gave her. She then put those properties on booking.com, Airbnb. Yep. And through that arbitrage, she was making like £2,000 a month. And she ended up in, at the end of her first year with 21 of them. So in one year, she's gone from, I haven't got any money through to, she's earning 41 properties, £2,000 each. She's now earning £82,000 a month. That's so, so let's wild. call it let's call it $100,000. And she did that. And within 18 months, she'd told 
the school that she worked at that she didn't want to go back anymore because she was now making multiple times from property what she was making from employment in a year yeah yeah she took her entire family including her dad that had paid for the notebook and the pencil to the grand canyon so when i say her entire family i'm talking parents grandparents children i think there's 14 of them yeah and they went for this trip to the grand canyon and all the bits and pieces vegas and, and everywhere else uh, she took her, her husband uh, twice business class she'd never flown business class ever to dubai in one year and in 2022 she built the business to a point where she literally took the year off and wow. She spent the entire year, a bit like you did. She spent the entire year with Piper, who's a little one. She's crazy about horses. So she bought a horse for herself. She bought this little Shetland pony for Piper. And now you see her on social media. She's she's on the beach on the horses. She's riding around town on these. It's just fantastic to see. It is fantastic. And, and I could go through this entire magazine and I could tell you the individual stories, the individual people. But I just absolutely love when I get like a postcard or a text or a Facebook message mm. or something that says, Paul, I know you haven't heard from me for the last three years or whatever, but this is what I've done. And one of my students, for instance, I don't really watch a lot of television, but I was actually in somebody else's house and they had the TV on. And the, there's this program about property renovation and whatever in the UK. It's called Homes Under the Hammer. And when you buy from auction and the hammer comes down, mm -hmm. you've, you've bought the property. So there's this TV series, and it's quite popular in the United Kingdom, called Homes Under the Hammer, which is about people buying properties from auction and then doing them up and whatever. And, and this person comes on. I'm like, I know them. <laughs> it's, one of my, it's one of my students. And they've just done this property project that's made them five million. Wow. And that, and I'm not, I don't really watch TV. You can't not watch. Yeah. Students. How do you not watch that when it's your own student? That's fantastic. So I'm watching it. And at the end of it, she just says to the camera, she says, and I just really like to thank Paul Smith and Touchdown Education because it, it wouldn't have been possible without them. And I'm like, I'm really pleased that you're telling the entire country, but you didn't tell me. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. What an endorsement. What an endorsement. Yeah. yeah. So, so what are some of the habits? I, we were over a little bit and I do want to be respectful of your time, but I, I wanted to ask you this. What are some of the habits that you feel have helped yourself and your most successful students on their path to success? It, we've already talked about it. Mindset is number one. But number two, you've alluded to this. Be very respectful of your own mortality because we haven't talked about this at all. When I was 14, so Christ, whatever that is, 45 years ago now, I was diagnosed with a thing called Crohn's disease. And at the age of 14, I spent one year in hospital and I had so many operations, probably 20 plus operations. And three of them were life threatening. I mentioned that I was a, a Catholic and if they think a Catholic's going to die, they give them something called the last rites. Okay. So essentially a priest appears and says, you're going to die, but it'll be fine. You're going to heaven and whatever. And, and I'm not trying to be disrespectful to any Catholics. No, but it's watch. probably slightly terrifying when you're not yeah. at the door yet. <laughs> yeah, at the age, at the age of 14 and so basically long story short three times i was told to say goodbye to everyone so to my parents to my brothers and sisters and whatever 
but I came through, obviously, I yeah. came through. Yeah. And I think that's the biggest gift I've ever been given because mm. I know that my life is finite. Most people don't. Most people yeah. in their 20s, 30s, 40s, they think they're going to live forever. Ever. Yeah. They do, crazy, they do crazy stuff. Like they smoke cigarettes, I'm talking about. That's yeah. Good. Early. Yeah. And why would you want to do that? So I'm very respectful of my own mortality in the sense that I know that we're not here for a long time. Mm. How do I interpret that? Is it miserable? Oh my God, I'm going to die. No. It's live every day as if it's your last day on the planet because one day you're going to be right. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. So I encourage all my students to write a bucket list, the film, the bucket yep. list. Yeah. 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 And I then encourage them not to wait until they're too old and can't now start ticking them off yeah okay yeah I, so random one item one on the bucket list for this uh, lady called marty was she wanted to go to japan because she'd never been to japan she wanted to go and see the the cherry countries i love japan yeah me too question in order to make this trip of a lifetime to japan how many property deals do you need to do how much money do you need and link Bucket list item number one, two, boom, property deals done. She's off to Japan with a family. That's crazy. Another guy, I, I want a new Ferrari California. Okay. How much is this Ferrari California? Well, I'm not going to buy it. I, I can lease it and it's going to be like five grand a month, whatever it is. In order to get your Ferrari California, how many rental properties do you need? Right. Link. So I think the answer was 10 or something. So he gets his 10 rental properties driving around in his new California. Happy days. Yeah. Uh, so, so number one, mindset. Number two, mortality, but in a positive way. That sense of urgency. Yeah. And then specifically write a bucket list and start ticking things off. Yeah. Number three, and I got to defer to Jim Rohn on this. And Jim, Jim Rohn, Rohn once famously said that the bridge between your dreams, your aspirations, and where you are now is discipline. And you want to get to wherever you want to get to. That's not my job to tell you that. You need to decide wherever it is you want to go. But what I can guarantee you is to get from wherever you are now to wherever you want to go, you've got to be disciplined. And yes. I could talk to you for hours about that, but if I try and shorthand it a little bit, Every master was once a disaster. So the people that make it look so effortless now, they had to go through hell to get that yes. good. Yes, yes, yes. And you need to be prepared to put the hard yards in, to put the work in so that you can look like it's no yeah. effort at all. Yeah. And that could apply to anything. I don't care if you want to be a ballerina, if you want yeah. to be a concert hall pianist, or if you want to be a property investor. So for all those people that think, oh, all I need to do is sign up to one of these property investment courses and I'm going to be a multimillionaire in three weeks' time. No, you're not. And there's no such thing as a, as a house fairy. Now, let me explain what I mean by house fairy. When you're a kid and your teeth fall out, the tooth fairy turns up and puts five yeah. bucks under your pillow or whatever your it tooth. is. Right, right. I've never experienced a thing where somebody signs up to one of my courses and in two weeks from now, the house fairy appears and puts under their pillow at night a million bucks or the deeds right. 
five houses. It doesn't happen. You've got to go and earn it. Yeah. Okay. So spoiler alert of the t- if, for all the kids watching this, then obviously the tooth fairy actually exists. Correct. Obviously. But the house fairy does not exist. It's not. So you've got to work for it. So those would be my top three. It's yeah. like mindset, bucket list, and you've got to be prepared to put the work in. Yeah. But the, and I love the, that. I love that. I think that's so, because you said, I love Jim Rohn. I actually met Darren Hardy, who bought all the rights to Jim Rohn's content. He is Success Magazine. I got to go hiking with him and talk with him at length. It was a great day. That was, I love Jim Rohn. He actually gave me his favorite Jim Rohn cassette he personally signed. It was a great, yeah. Sentimental things. They mean so much. But because you said the word dream, I want to quickly go recap. Alan Watts has this great, I'm not, I am spiritual. I'm not religious. Alan Watts is this great guy. He's got all these different little kind of lectures he's given one he calls the dream of life and he says imagine every night you went to sleep that you could dream a hundred years of life or however many years of life you wanted to dream and you'll do this every night you go to sleep you dream a whole new life hundreds of years if you want and after weeks months years of dreaming hundreds of years eventually you start off with all the pleasures and the luxuries but after a while you get bored of that you want something different and then you want some excitement some challenge some close calls some danger and slowly you'd have further and further out gambles until one night you would go, I'm tonight when I go to sleep, I don't want to know that I'm dreaming and I'm going to wake up and it's all going to be okay. Mm. And in the infinite possibilities of the universe, you could have gone to bed and slept to sleep, dream the life that you're dreaming today. And knowing that, like what you said, you got to have the right mindset. You got to have a sense of urgency, your bucket list, have purpose and meaning. And then the discipline. I think that's a really good message. Paul, I'm so grateful for your time. I know I've gone a little bit over. I want to be respectful of your time. My pleasure. Um, is there anything I haven't asked you that I should have asked you? Oh, yeah, you have not be back yet. <laughs> we'll definitely love to have you back for a repeat. And if people want to get in touch, if people want to learn more, where's the best place for them to go? I think the simplest place is just Touchstone Education, or one word, Touchstone, as in like the movie company, TouchstoneEducation.com. And that's they're going to get all the contact details they need on there. Yeah, perfect. So that's TouchstoneEducation.com, T-O-U-C-H-S-T-O-N-E-D-U-C-A-T-I-O-N.com. Paul, thank you so much, knowing that you have your own following, your own family, your own things to take care of. Thank you for coming and sharing with my audience and I. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you, Daryl.